You may be seated. Church family, um, I am uh, honored and thankful for this opportunity uh, to uh, introduce to you Dr. Rod West. Uh, as I mentioned to you, um, it's been a couple months now since you've been over here, just about, yeah. And uh, so down our hall, right before you get to the fellowship hall, uh, that room that was on the right-hand side, Dr. West has uh, taken up residence in there on Thursdays and Fridays for Christ-Centered Solution Solutions. And I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so very, very excited the, about the fact that you're here and the partnership that we have with you. Uh, for Thursdays and Fridays, for him to be here to provide biblical counseling uh, in person or via online. And um, Dr. Rod West, uh, for, was it seven years or eight years that you were at Friendship? Seven years. He served as the pastor at Friendship before moving into biblical counseling full-time. I don't want to steal your thunder with all that. I'll let you share. Um, but he's been a, a dear friend to me uh, for the last seven or eight years, and um, I'm very excited to see about what God is going to be doing moving forward uh, in this partnership with us as a church and with him. And uh, the, the major blessing it is for me to be a young minister and to have him uh, so close by uh, for wisdom and guidance. So if y'all would, will you please join me in welcoming Dr. West? I'm glad to be here with you this morning. And uh, my wife, I think, is glad to be with us too. Uh, although we left at about 5.30 this morning from Wilmington, I'm not so sure how excited she was at 5.30, but we're here, and we you got me here, that's all right. We, uh, we have this thing, she's afraid I'm going to go to sleep when I drive, and so she feels like she's got to go with me pretty much everywhere. Um, that's probably true. I can fall asleep pretty easily. Um, so she's my uh, assistant. She is my chauffeur. Um, she cooks and cleans. No, I take that back. She doesn't cook that much. I cook, but she cleans and does everything else. So she is a, my, my partner in crime, if you will. But I want to thank you for having us here today. And uh, again, Teresa, Luna, and myself, we're very thankful for the opportunity that we can come and worship with you. That I have uh, personally been blessed by Brian and Walter and this invitation to share the Word of God, to share the Gospel with you. And when I was asked to share, uh, and normally when I come to share with the church about Christ-centered solutions, I have a gift for the pastor. And, um, and I know Brian's the lead pastor, and is this being on Facebook? Is this on Facebook this morning? So if Walter's watching, he can fight you for this gift, okay? But I want to tell you what I have. Uh, this is the Care and Counsel Bible. I'm a member of the American Association of Christian Counselors. And I have been for several years. And the AACC, along with uh, Tim Clinton, who is a Christian counselor, well-known teacher, um, instructor, professor at several universities, uh, he and his team have put these Bibles together and what they have done is they, they've taken the Word of God and they've gone through it and they've put their own annotations in and those different things. And in the front of it is actually a list if you have, have a certain issue. Say someone comes into your office and they're depressed or 
they're, they're having anxiety attacks and those type of things. There's a reference to scriptures that help minister to those needs, and then there's other information as well. And so, Brian, this is yours, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. You're welcome. Thank you. I also have some extra Bibles if uh, I can't give them all away. So there is a cost for the Bible, but we do have some of those. And, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. And so let, as we get started this morning, I think the title is going to be up on the, on the screen here. And our title this morning is Coming to Terms with Pain and Suffering. Sounds like a fun sermon, doesn't it? It's a painful sermon. How about that? What if I told you it was two hours long? That would be pretty painful, right? It's not two hours long, but I could probably stretch it out to be. But as we begin this morning, it's my understanding that you folks have been in First Peter for a while now. How many? A couple of months? What? A couple of months? And so, and, and my understanding also is that you're going verse by verse, Correct which I love hearing that. Having been a pastor for more than 30 years, I spent the majority of my time uh, when I would preach, uh, I would do so expositionally, meaning that you go book by book, verse by verse, word by word. And, and some people, I've heard some Christians say they don't like that very much, but I think once you kind of get what's happening, with expositional preaching like you're getting here is that you're, you're being fed a really rich meal concerning the Word of God. You're, you're given so much. You're not just jumping around here and there and you're, you're not jumping from one topic to the next. You're really digging in and I appreciate pastors who do that because I've done it for so long. Again, when uh, Brian told me the text for this morning and asked me if I felt okay preaching from that, I, I was pretty uh, excited about that. I was really pleased for a couple of reasons. One, just to be following along the foundation that your pastors have laid is good for any visiting speaker, preacher, evangelist. And part of it is because you already have an understanding and, and you don't have to supply all this background information, which is important to understanding any book in the Scriptures. And so, as you already have this introduction to the book, this groundwork that's already been done, you, you probably remember some of the things from when you started. And that was Peter is writing to a very diverse group of people, a very diverse group of Christians who have been dispersed. The, these Christians have begun to experience some suffering. And, and these Christians, they're primarily Gentiles that he's writing to. These are folks who have basically been displaced. Some of their family has turned them away. They've lost their businesses. They've lost their opportunity to earn a living. Some of them are, are in different places, and they're in places that have different cultures. They're speaking different tongues, the different ethnicities, a variety of things. And the people that Peter is writing to, you probably remember, is that it's not like the metropolitan area so much that Paul was writing to, but these are more rural areas. Life is much different 
for these folks. And you might also remember that Peter is writing from Rome. And this is after Paul's first imprisonment. And because if it had been, if they had been there at the same time, no doubt they would have mentioned each other being there. And this book is also written not long before his death. He and, he and the Apostle Paul die in the same year, Peter going first, around A.D. 64. Another reason that I was pleased to hear about the passage that Brian and Walter uh, asked me to preach from this morning is because the main topic, the theme, through this little letter is suffering. How do we deal with it? How do we live with it? How are we as Christians supposed to act and live now in this new world? You feel like you're in a new world today? Different, isn't it? It's different. I look at you and I, and I see all these masked people, right? It has changed the church. And I think to some degree, what we're seeing is a purging of the church through this. We're, we're finding genuine believers who desire, who have to have the ability to come together and worship together. If you have no desire to worship with other believers, we might want to check on that title of Christian that you carry. These folks were struggling, they were suffering, and their pain was real. And again, this is another reason why I was pleased when Brian shared with me the text for this morning. And, and you might have also noticed I have a friend with me in the pulpit, right? Her name's Luna. She always knows when we're talking about her. Luna is my service dog, and she's with me because of my own pain and suffering. We, we've had Luna for two years, and, and she's really been a blessing to us, to me. She helps in a variety of ways. I, I have a DVD that my story is on, and, and I actually sit down with my Christian doctor and how we have worked through my own issue of PTSD or how we're working through it. PTSD, for those who have it, it never goes away. It's managed. But you're walking down the street, you might never know that the person that you just passed suffers with PTSD. And it can come on for a variety of reasons. We normally associate it with, with uh, soldiers and war scenarios. But there are many other reasons people develop PTSD. So this morning, let's talk about pain and suffering. And again, that's our title, Coming to Terms with Pain and Suffering. Again, there's a lot of pain and suffering in our world today, correct? Because of the pandemic, people being separated, people losing jobs, people being laid off. A variety of reasons, people not being able to be with family members when they die. People trying to communicate through windows, through masks. Do, do you realize one of, the, one of the things with my PTSD, I can't wear a mask. 
But do you realize that not just wearing a mask, but others who wear a mask sometimes causes trauma or, or stirs up or triggers trauma re- memories in a person? Because they can't see your face. All they can see is your eyes. It's a different world. The truth is there's always been a lot of pain and suffering in the world. Pretty much from the beginning of time, it it just seems to be magnified today. Because of the media, because of technology, because of uh, the things that we see and hear, we're constantly bombarded. And many people are struggling with pain and, and others don't even know it because they feel so isolated from this pandemic. Years ago, when I first entered the ministry, I had a friend that just couldn't believe that Rod West was going to be a pastor, to be a minister. They, they knew things about me. They had grown up with me. They had seen things and heard things. Even my oldest sister was one of those who questioned the, quote, career move. But this friend was really angry with God because they had another friend that died recently in a car accident, and he was young. They, they just couldn't understand it. They asked me the same question that many others have asked throughout the centuries, and that is, how could a loving God, what? Do such a thing, allow such a thing. How could a loving God allow such a terrible thing to happen to such a good person? And me being the compassionate person that I was, me being the person that wants to to demonstrate this great wisdom from the Word of God, I had this great answer, this great theological and biblical answer for them. And it didn't go over so well. My friend was lost, and probably still is. They don't need, they think, a theological answer. They want something to medicate their pain right away. And knowing more about God, knowing about His Word, doesn't often help lost people that have a totally different worldview than a believer does. Now, there are some that the Holy Spirit moves upon and they see their eyes are open. And it does bring healing. It starts to bring understanding. See, I think that's one of the things that is so important when we talk about pain and suffering. And that is, we want to understand. We want to know why these things happened. This friend shared a a few other thoughts with me, but this is basically what they said. If that's the best you've got, I hope you don't share it with another person ever. They didn't get it. Now, the thing here is this. When lost folks are hurting and suffering, sound biblical and theological answers usually don't help. Their worldview and how the world operates is vastly different than the believer, than the Christian, the follower of Christ. So one might think 
If that's how a lost person is, then on the other side, a believer would embrace it, would, would take hold and grab that, that theological truth, that biblical truth, and that they would find help and hope and healing. But that's not always how it works either. Especially if they're right in the midst of great pain and suffering. Here, I have three points for you because I'm a good Baptist, right? Good Baptists have three points. If you go four, you're getting a little charismatic. So I just got three. <laughs> Amen. Here's our first point this morning. I think it's on the screen. Pain and suffering are inescapable. The question is, how do you respond as a follower of Christ? Pain and suffering are a part of life. We can't escape it. Now, some people experience far more pain and suffering in their lives than others do. But we all have had it. And if you haven't had it yet, it's probably coming your way. I'm sure Walter didn't expect his son to, to break a bone last night. That, that's terrifying for a parent when you know your child is hurting and they need help. They need medical assistance. And then you add on top that you got to take them to the emergency room in the midst of a pandemic where this virus probably is lurking around each and every hospital. Probably not the best feeling in the world. There's always been a problem with pain and suffering in the world. I should say ever since the fall of man. And, and there, therein lies part of the problem. It's, it's a big problem. And you might say, oh, sin is the issue. And I would say, no, sin's not the issue. Man or mankind is the issue. Sin is the symptom of the problem. And here's what I mean by that. If God wanted to eradicate all pain and suffering today, He could. He could do it just by speaking. He could make it happen. But I don't think most of us would want that. Because the way to take care of all pain, of pain and suffering today in this world is to get rid of mankind. No more man, no more sin. It doesn't mean that pain and suffering ends for the lost. Because there's, there's eternal torment for that. We don't like to think about that either. God could say, man, be no more. And it's all taken care of. And, and you might think, well, that's, that's a little harsh or that's a little off. I've never heard that before, but think about it. If man doesn't exist, there's no agent to carry the sin. So with the elimination of mankind, all pain and suffering on this earth again would come to an end. But again, I don't think that most people would like that solution. So as we look at this first passage, let's keep in mind that the Apostle Peter, he's understanding that these people are hurting and he's writing to encourage the suffering believers and to see their suffering from a different viewpoint. A view that 
doesn't erase the pain and suffering, but embraces it. And people might say, people outside the body of Christ, they, they think that's just crazy. The, this Peter guy is a nut. Who wants to embrace their suffering? How, how many of you want to be punched in the face today and say, oh, thank you, give me another? But the Scriptures teach us something different. Even the Apostle Paul talks about rejoicing in our trials and tribulations, rejoicing in our suffering and our pain. It, it really doesn't make sense from a secular view. But we are to look heavenwardly. This, this focus is eternal. It's one that, that looks to Christ and the testimony that believers are to leave with unbelievers. And it's to be carried out in the way that we live. If you've got your Bibles, I, I think some of you have those um, ESV Bibles, right? Yeah. Look at the passage right before the one we get to today in chapter 3, verse 13. It's not on the screen yet. This one is, but the one right before this. Look at this. Because it sets the context for what's to come. Peter writes, finally, it's going to a new section. He says, finally, all of you. Who are all of you? You're the body of Christ. All of you who are suffering. Notice what he says. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. This is a command. He says you are to have unity of mind. When we see the word mind and heart, oftentimes it, it's the word cardia. And it's not the, the organ that pumps blood, but it's the organ here that you think with. It's where the soul resides. He says, have unity of thought. Have unity in this. The, the reason that Brian and I are brothers isn't because we have the same mother, but it's because of the blood of Christ that covers us. Right? The same we could say about you, those who know Christ. He says, have unity of mind, have sympathy, have brotherly love, have a tender heart, have a humble mind, have a, a type of thinking that puts others before self. And then he says, here's another command, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. Church, look at me. Bless. You are to bless. And notice what the next words are. For to this you were called. You were called to be a blessing to one another. You were called to be a blessing in this world. But get the context in which he is, is moving us. The, the flow of this, this little letter. He's talking about suffering. Do not repay evil for evil. Reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless one another, for you were called to this, that you may obtain a blessing, that you may be blessed. There is a blessing that awaits the believer, and it ain't here. It's not part of this world. Then he goes on, he says, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. 
and his lips from speaking deceit. That's hard to do when we're suffering, isn't it? I'm guilty myself. I'm going to tell you, part of my PTSD, when when my flesh gets the better of me, I, I can be a pretty angry and ugly guy. Uglier than what I already am. Notice. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him, let the Christian, seek peace and pursue it. Follow after it. Take hold of it. And the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. That's the same people that he was talking to earlier when he said, you. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to your prayers. But the face of the Lord is against. It turns away from those who do evil. Now that brings us to our passage this morning. That sets the context. He is telling us what we should be doing in the midst of suffering, and now he expounds upon it even more. Look at verse 13. It's on the, on the screen. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who's going to do you harm if you're a zealot for good? If you're, if you're just crazy about doing good things in the name of Jesus Christ, who's going to hurt you? It's kind of a rhetorical question. And then he says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, even in doing good, living the life that you need to be living, using the words and carrying out the the blessings that God has called you to, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. He's simply just repeating what he said and building upon it. He says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Let's finish reading this. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Again, who's going to harm you? He's talking about physical harm or hardships that may come upon you, the distress that, that may come with those things when you do good. He wants to remind us that yeah, those things might happen. And they are happening in other parts of the world. And and we may see it progressing here in America. I I think some of you will see it before you leave this place. I think I might even. But notice, he says, even if suffering does happen, you are to be a blessing and not be a person of fear. To bless, one writer says, doesn't mean to feel delighted, but to be highly privileged. I like that. Jesus said something along these lines too. Listen to this, Matthew 10, 28. He said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Get what he's saying here. I, I think C.S. Lewis put it best, and you've probably heard this before. It's, a, it's attributed to him. I've never found it in his writings, but I've heard he's the one that said it. And, and maybe you know, Brian, I don't know. But he kind of gives us this statement where he says, we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a physical experience. We are first and foremost spiritual. This body will die. It will decay. But the spirit, the soul, will live on forever. And if that is in God's hands, if you are sealed, you can never be taken away from Him. Heaven is yours. I want to go back to something. Look at this verse again, this passage. Verse 16, he says, Having a good conscience, do these things that you might have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, it's almost guaranteed, people aren't always going to like you. When I first entered the ministry years ago, I couldn't figure out why some people just didn't like me. I thought I was a pretty nice guy. I don't know, we ask my wife, most of the time I think I'm a pretty nice guy. Maybe she's not the one to ask. She's, we've been together almost 40 years. Not everybody's going to appreciate the Christian. Some are going to hate you because you bring out the worst in them. How do you bring out the worst in them? They see something in you that is not in them. You have something. And so when you go back and he says this, have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord. Have in your mind Christ separated, always as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. The, we get our word apology or apologetics from that statement. Let your life and let your words match and be ready to give the reason for your hope in Christ. Here's our second point this morning. Believers, like non-believers, often struggle with the idea of God's will and their suffering being tied together. Here, here's another way of putting it. You mean it's God's will for me to suffer? Some would say, again, how could a loving God, how could that be His will that we might suffer? 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. <laughs> Let me tell you something, just a little bit about my story. Uh, when, when I was young, I was physically abused. I was also sexually abused. And the abuse went on for several years. 
And I, I look back at that, the times that I've struggled the most, I have questioned, I've argued with God. You might say, ooh, you've argued with God. You've been angry with God. Well, there is a price to pay for that, but He is big enough to take it. He's not moved by my emotion. But I've struggled at times with that. How could this be part of God's will? And I had to come to an understanding that we live in a fallen world. We, we live in a world that is depraved. We, we live in a world full of people who are selfish and seek after their own. And I know that for a fact because I've done the same. It's part of this flesh. But being part of God's will, I had to come to an understanding that look... It was not God's perfect will that these people hurt me like they did. But it was God's will to take something so ugly and so vile and to use it for good and for His glory. Truthfully, that's the only reason I stand here this morning. Because I never thought I would live to be 57 years of age for a variety of reasons. It is difficult to come to terms, even for the believer at times, to put God's will together with the suffering and the pain that we sometimes experience. This is just a truth that many of us struggle with. Uh, the question normally is, why, right? Why, God? Have you ever heard someone say, you should never ask God why? Here's why I'm going to tell you that they're wrong. If God is your Father, then He wants you to come to Him. When my boys were young and now even as adult men, when, when they're struggling and they're wanting to know why, I want them to come to me. I want them to look at me as their Father. Our Father in Heaven wants to know. Take your questions to Him. Oftentimes they'll say, why? What have I done to deserve such suffering? And I think again, another quote from C.S. Lewis, and this one I do know comes from him where he said, the question is not why me, but why not me? Why not me? God has, has no obligation to me whatsoever to save my soul. I deserve His wrath. All of us do. You might say, but I, I'm a pretty good person. Well, how do you know that you're good? By what standard do you measure good? Is it by society and, and what society says you haven't broken these laws so you're good? Even Jesus said, why do you call me good? Know you not that none are good? But when we come to Christ and we're covered by His blood, 
His wrath, the wrath of God has been satisfied by, by His sacrifice. The only reason that we can say that we are good is not because of something that we have done, but because of what He has done for us. He is good and He lives within us. But God has, again, no obligation to save me, to do anything for me. It is out of His goodness that He has done so. All suffering of the believer, I believe, can be understood by faith and in the will of God. These Christians that Peter is speaking to are suffering because of their faith, or at least in part. But as I stated earlier, all pain and suffering can be traced back to the fall of man. And when sin entered the world, it came through Adam's disobedience. And when that happened, death occurred. When death occurred, separation occurred. And when separation occurred, it brought the potential for great pain and suffering for all of humanity because Adam is our federal head. It's kind of like when people say, President Trump isn't my president. Well, if you're an American, he's your president. It doesn't matter if you recognize him or not. It doesn't matter who the president is. If we go to war as Americans, America goes to war. You're part of that. He's your federal head, or she would be your federal head. Adam was ours. And so again, when I consider my own pain and suffering, I realize it isn't because someone else is persecuting me today, but oftentimes it's simply because people are evil. The pain and suffering I've experienced has been by the evilness of others and some of the pain and suffering I've brought upon myself as well, and I bet you have too. Uh, on this point, and understanding the will of God and, and the suffering we experience, I, I want to share something with you from Christ-Centered Solutions. I, I want to tell you what we do. We, we have four airy, areas of ministry, and, and I think they're on the screen. Yep, there they are. And so we do face-to-face -face biblical counseling. Biblical counseling is different than Christian counseling. When you talk about Christian counselors, you have a wide array of Christian counseling. Some may simply say, it's Christian in name only. I'm a Christian, you're a Christian, so we'll call it Christian counseling. It doesn't mean that they operate by the same process that biblical counselors do. Some believe in prayer, some don't. Some believe in bringing the Scriptures in, others don't. But biblical counseling, it's exactly what it says. We go to the Word. We find answers from the Word of God because He has given it to us. We believe that everything we need is there scripturally. It doesn't mean that other things like schizophrenia and um, bipolar disorder, that they don't exist. They do. Those are neurological issues. And, and we recognize the, that medical personnel are needed for those type of things. But most of the things that we experience are emotional. They're mental. They're spiritual.
because they affect the whole body. So we do face-to-face biblical counseling in person and online. The, the second thing we do is that we train those in the body of Christ with the gift of shepherding. And, and what that means is we work with pastors and we try to find people in each congregation that have the gift of shepherding that can be trained in how to carry out biblical counseling. Yesterday, a great man died, and you've probably never heard his name. His name is Jay Adams, Dr. Jay Adams. He's the founder of new, what is called Nuthetic Counseling. Nuthetic, Nutheteo, is where we get biblical counseling. And we find it in one place, uh, Colossians 1.28. But, but he started to develop Nuthetic Counseling for the church way back in the 50s and 60s because he saw a problem that was developing that most pastors didn't feel competent to counsel. And his book, one of his first books, and his most important book is called that, Competent to Counsel. And the idea is that every believer should be competent to counsel another believer through the Word. And so we do some of that. We also believe that Christian-to-Christian counseling, peer-to-peer counseling, is some of the best counseling that you can get. And studies actually show it. That most peer-to-peer counseling, when it's done correctly, has a greater impact than secular counseling or even Christian counseling. We also do uh, marriage mentoring, training couples to be marriage mentors. And we work with Dare to be different in love and respect that. Teresa and I have done a marriage enrichment weekend where we talk about the seasons of marriage and we talk about our seasons that we've experienced. And so we, we do a weekend for that. But I want you to understand the Scriptures command us to carry out biblical counseling. Listen to this, Philippians 2.4, Paul says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. It's more than just giving someone something materially. It's helping them spiritually. Galatians 6.2, Paul says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then I mentioned Colossians 1.28, Him we proclaim, warning, nuthateo, everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so part of biblical counseling is really a form of discipleship. It's where you meet with someone and you listen to them. You actively listen and you pray with them and you walk with them through the Word. You become a biblical counselor at that point. Not only that, but you deal with sin. Their sin, your sin, we all sin. We deal with that. And then the third area is being a pastor to pastors. I, I know I'm not going to get finished with my message here. I hope that's okay. 
because there's so much more, but this is really important and I want you to understand it. That pastors, particularly pastors of smaller churches, they have a very high burnout rate. Guess what? We're also seeing the suicide rate of pastors climb. Since 2012, there's been about 45 prominent pastors or family members of pastors who have committed suicide. We had one in this area not too long ago over at Seacoast. You might remember Rick Warren's son a few years ago committing suicide. Pastors are struggling like never before. There is such immense pressure on them. That's overwhelming. Do you realize that most men that come out of seminary and go into the pastorate or out of the pastorate after five years? It's a strain. It's a strain on the pastor. It's a strain on the family. All you got to do is ask my wife. Folks, we don't have a perfect marriage. We've struggled. And the ministry has attributed some to that. And so being a pastor to pastor means that I work <clears throat> with pastors. We can call it counseling. We can call it coaching. We can call it being friends. We can call it consultation. It doesn't matter what we call it, but pastors and their families are never charged a thing. And we're depending on Christians to take care of other Christians, especially their pastors. Let me be frank with you. After 30 years in the pastorate, one of the reasons that I needed to go and do this full time was because I was feeling the effects, the weight of it myself. And I saw it in other pastors and it was breaking my heart. And I want these men to be strong. I want them to be the men that God has called them to be for you. And so part of the ministry, a big part on my, from my point of view is being a pastor to pastors. Then the fourth area is where I just come in and I share my story. I feel the pulpit. We share our story together. Teresa has a unique story as well. And so there are ways that you can help, and, and Christ-Centered Solutions needs your help. One, like every missionary and ministry, we need your prayers. We need you to pray for us daily. We, we are traveling, even though it's just two days a week, although this week we're traveling four days, four out of seven. We, we need your prayers for safety. We need your prayers that others will hear, that other Christians will respond because they will see the need to take care of their own. We need supporting partners. And I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know how long we can do it um, because we depend on the financing 
of other Christians and churches. If it doesn't come in, gas doesn't go in the car, the internet isn't paid and we can't do much anymore. And so this is a faith ministry. And so we need financial support. We need volunteers. You might say, you know what? That's something I would like to be a part of. I'd like to help. I'd like to be part of the biblical counseling ministry. And, and we need volunteers, people who can sit at home and make phone calls. They can go down a list and they can talk to different pastors and deacons and say, hey, let me tell you about Christ Center Solutions. Can we get Rod on the schedule to come and speak to your church or your Sunday school class? Because what you're hearing this morning is, is a message from First Peter, but it, it so applies to what we're doing. We need help, clerical work. We need fundraising help. The, the little card that you have, we, we'd love for you to be on our email list because we, we'll send out emails through Constant Contact and when you get that, you'll be, you'll be reminded to pray. You'll know what's going on and we'll know what to pray for. And, and so this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you'll help us right now, as you listen to my voice, if you'll take that card and just fill it out if you would like to be a part of this ministry, even if it's just prayer. Or if you need information on biblical counseling, Christian life coaching, becoming a marriage mentor, or receiving marriage mentoring, or speaking to another group, just check the box. And if you can volunteer, turn it over on the back where it's got all the information, just put on there. I'd like to volunteer. I'd like to know how I could help Christ Center Solutions. You, you could help us by doing that right now. I showed you the Bible. The Bibles aren't free, but the Bibles are part of our ministry and where we get them from the AACC and we resell them and anything you give above $50 is a donation. The, the Bibles cost us about $50 a piece. And so we ask that if you can give 75 that that helps us buy more Bibles and it helps the ministry. The DVD I was telling you about has two parts on it. They're, they're right over here. My wife has them along with the Bibles. And a book that I wrote, and, and let me, it's just a, a little book, and I'll, I'll tell you about it in just a second. But for any donation, I don't care if it's just a dollar. You can have either one or both. But here's all I ask. If you take these, watch them, read them, and then share it with somebody else. The DVD tells my story and, and why I need Luna. There's also a second part on there that, that I have an interview with my doctor. She's asking me questions. She's a Christian psychologist. The book is basically a series of um, blogs that I wrote on marriage and family. And, and it has some mistakes in it. It has probably some grammatical things in it. It was edited three times and it's still wrong. But here's what it's for. Not only is it to help you if you're entering into a, a marriage or you've been in a marriage for a little while or a relationship, but it's also meant to be a discussion starter. The chapters are very short, so you read it and you talk about we're actually doing a um, 
or I'm doing a uh, question section for each chapter. And then you can also just take a card. If you need something, you can feel free to call me or email me at any time, and Teresa will have all that over there. Come. And so that's how you can help Christ-centered solutions. <laughs> Down. Luna's telling me I'm being long-winded. How about that? <laughs> so please do that. Please fill out the card. Come by, get a DVD or, or a book or whatever, or just say you pray for us. Let me finish with this third and last point, and I'll be really quick. Pain and suffering serve as a picture of the believer's hope and glory to come. Here's the reality that, again, pain and suffering, it's real. It comes to all of us. But, but it, it also points to something for the believer. Points to something greater. And that's what Peter is saying here. Christians are able to endure because of what Christ has done. He is asking us to follow in his footsteps. Look at this, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Let's just point this out. The word also points back to the paragraph before and the believer's suffering. Yes, you're suffering, but here's what I want you to know. Christ also suffered. He suffered once for sins, sinners, mankind, if you will. The righteous Christ for the unrighteous, me and you, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Let me ask you, what did Christ ever do to deserve to go to the cross? Nothing. He was holy and righteous and still is. Yet He went on our behalf. He went to the cross for the unrighteous. And that's us. And He provides this great example of how we are to live a life that has suffering and pain in it. We are to trust Him. I love the way the Apostle Paul makes a similar statement. Here it is, Romans 8, 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I'll stop right there. In the King James, it goes something like this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of being compared to the glory that shall come. I always love the King James Version because it shows that Paul was a true Southerner because only a Southerner would use the word reckon. Right? For I reckon, I consider, I count that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that should be revealed to us or shall come to us, that should be shared with us. Christ in His suffering, has now gone to glory. He now sits at the right hand of His Father. 
And when He comes again to gather His church, or if you die before that, He is going to share His glory with you. I don't know about you, but I've done nothing to share in the glory of Christ. If you read on, he talks about how the creation groans, eagerly waiting for Christ's return. And so should we. Lastly, go back to our passage 3.18-22. through 22. Notice in verse 19, he says, after being uh, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, he's alive he says, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits of prison. He gives us these two illustrations to know that there's something greater. He goes to the prison. He goes to these spirits. Some say they're fallen angels. Some say that they're people before or during the time of Noah, before the flood, which I tend to believe it is. But he goes and he proclaims the gospel message. Basically, they had already heard the gospel through Noah, but yet he is proclaiming it again and he's basically saying, it's real. It's real. It's real for us too. He is our hope. And then he talks about Noah and the flood and the baptism and he's not talking about water baptism here it's something more. He talks about uh, being baptized into the body of Christ in a sense of uh, how we live with this good conscience that just as we are buried in death, again, we are resurrected to life in Christ. There's more there, but we don't have time to go there this morning. Here, here's what I want you to understand from this last point and bringing it all together. If you're suffering and you're in pain today, no one doubts that it is real. And I can also tell you, no one cares more than God. And He wants to remind you that while you suffer today, and you may be suffering for Him, you may be suffering for other reasons, but as you suffer, you can turn your eyes to heaven and focus on Him because there is something greater that awaits you on the other side of this life. He is your hope. He is our hope. And He is our glory. Before I turn it back over to Brian, I just want to pray for you, church. Father, we thank You today for Your love and care for us. We thank You for the opportunity to share Your Word. And Lord, we pray that for those who are hurting today, those who have experienced trials and tribulations, or they are experiencing them, Lord, that they will turn to You. Lord, that they will turn to Your Word, that they will turn to other Christians, and that they will find help for their soul. And in so doing, Lord, in their suffering, may You be glorified. May the the world around us that's lost and undone, may they see you living in us and through us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.